If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be a grand final stand against your enemies, and here's why. We're talking about single-use magic items. In this episode, we're going to find some answers to how do you design a scenario to introduce single-use magic items? And what abilities should it have? And how should it play out in your game? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. So recently, we nearly murdered each other not unusual (laughs) does it happen all that often (laughs) i feel like in general we get along pretty well yes absolutely so we got into talking about how to deliver magic items to players in a better way and we usually agree on most stuff i would say in general yeah yeah that's why we play Dungeons and dragons so much at the same table so the day started in the morning And we were going back and forth, and we were talking about how to actually deliver magic items to players. And it's a pretty weird trick that Travis and I managed to do where we think we're talking about the same thing, but we're actually reading two different books. So starting at 8 a.m., and we don't quite realize, and we're, we're trying to plan out an episode, we're trying to decide, okay, where do we stand on this kind of stuff? And then by around 7 to 9 p.m., (laughs) we finally realize that we're talking about two totally different things. The day is a blur. I don't know what happened. And we both have incredibly differing opinions. Which we finally realized this morning is okay. (laughs) So So after much cursing and anger and attempted stabbings, we have arrived that we have two very different approaches to the exact same goal. What's the goal? Well, the goal is all about how to give players a sense of awe and wonder with magic items without giving them incredibly overpowered, long time, they just get to keep kind of magic epic items. Breaking that game. So as a quick recap on our last episode, We were chatting about our favorite way of approaching magic items, and we kind of, this is where we agree. Yes, absolutely. That the best approach to doing magic items in-game is just to have players build their own. It's super satisfying for the players, takes a load off the GM, it's all good. Gives you stuff to do with your money, on and on and on. You can go back and listen to that episode if you missed it. So that's how we arrived at a necessity of adding bigger and grander magic items into the world while you let your players craft their own cool weapons and armors and stuff. Yeah, and both of these techniques actually make it pretty easy for the Dungeon Master because you don't have to consider every little part of it when it's a one-time huge blowout magic item. If you want to take this approach, the approach that both of us agree on is a good one, which is the letting your players build their own stuff, there's a couple of really cool resources that you can use. You can visit the DMs Guild, 
And there's actually a really cool resource there called Crafting Magic Items, a Guide to Artifice. And that is actually free on the DMs Guild. And you can find a link to it in our show notes. Fantastic. The DMs Guild is a wonderful playground. There's also a guide to crafting magic items in 5th edition on flutesloot.com. We'll have that link as well. That was actually a really cool guide because it was pretty in-depth. I was very impressed. And then the final and favorite of ours is the Complete Armors Handbook, which just hit a mithril mithril bestseller status on DMs Guild. And for those who maybe aren't frequent on the DMs Guild, that means it's in the top 100 products being sold on DMs Guild. Pretty fabulous. And we've talked about it recently, but it's just super in-depth and gives so many fun options. So you can also find a link to that in the show notes. So there's all the rules to making the personal items, the personal magic weapons and items, so that you can get that off your plate. But now what we're going to talk about is how to add those really kind of epic you know, when your players want something more, when they want something really grand, how do you add that into your game without breaking it? Yeah, because we love the the steady progression of getting more powerful in RPGs. That's fantastic. But once in a while, just to have those wild peaks. Well, and the problem is, is that D&D is very kind of balanced. And in throwing something random in that mix for an extended period of time like giving your player a pair of oven mitts that picks up the world. (laughs) That's not an item. It isn't my game. Like Nine Lives Stealer, when one of your players is flipping through the Dungeon Master's Guide and sees this badass goddamn sword with I want to rip souls from people. Yes, why wouldn't you? (laughs) Absolutely. Holy shit. And when you take a little peruse through those stats and you find out whoever you hit with it has to make a saving throw or die instantly that's it there it is <laughs> that's gonna unbalance your goddamn game now yes i want to suck up souls so give it to me in our game travis so in order to figure this out what we're gonna do for this episode and the next one oh yeah we're getting into a two-parter we're going to take my approach first because i am the eldest of the sons <laughs> And then in the second episode, we actually get to see Jordan's approach to this exact same task. And to do that, we got to go into the strategy stateroom. This is the strategy stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. So let's recap some of the coolest encounters that you can remember. Well, back when we started with Pathfinder, there was this one encounter in which armies were attacking this kind of fortress that we were in. It's like a jungle fortress. There was enemies coming over the wall. Things seemed real dire. We found this secret little glass orb inside a mine within the fort. We found out that when somebody placed their clammy little mitts upon it, they inhabited a massive Mega giant statue of doom. And with that, you could walk out and into the battlefield and just start smushing, wreaking havoc, smashing through walls. Who cares? Starting fires, stomp, destroy. (laughs) And it felt pretty cool. 
There was also the encounter that we were talking about in our previous episode, which was a forest encounter that I built specifically for Rumor, who was at the time playing a druid, and so it was a big forest encounter with a huge set piece, tons of enemies, just waves of enemies coming in, and kind of took a similar approach and had a giant, mossy, treant forest guardian absorb her character right into its chest so that she could take over and be that forest guardian and start smashing. Forest mech! <laughs> Not a mech! Pretty, yeah, it's the anti-mech. <laughs> I My character was eaten by a troll in that particular encounter. But you survived. You got out of there. <laughs> it's just Slippery little monk. At the core of this is symmetry. Like I said before, D&D is very symmetrical. It's meant to be that way. You've got characters that are X level and you throw at them an enemy that is a CR of five so that it is properly balanced. And this is also why you don't want to take over and have uh, weapons that are too powerful for these particular... My point being is that symmetry is boring. I don't think it's boring. It makes for very engaging gameplay. Well, that's the core to that, is that it's gameplay. In order for it to be a game, you have to have rules and you have to have balance. Sure. I get that. I can only beat up baby goblins for so long. My point is that when players figure out that every encounter is leveled to their skill, you run the risk of becoming kind of apathetic. Just like, eh. I mean, I I know it's going to be another battle and it's going to be close, but... Oh my goodness, Uh, you know, it's always going to be a bit of a a grind. It's always going to be a bit of a struggle unless you take a different approach. Throw the occasional epic dragon at them when they're not ready for it. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Level their team with a dragon that they're not ready for. You must run. Or, sure, you give something to them that levels that playing field. Give them the dragon suit. I don't think you're following where we're going with this. (laughs) So what players are actually asking for when they request items like the Hand of Vecna, my interpretation of this, is wild unleveled abilities. Sometimes it feels cool to be cool. They just want to be a straight up superhero for a bit. It's kind of like cheat codes in a game. The desire to enter those cheat codes for me is always there. Oh, yeah, I could just have (laughs) unlimited money. Why not? If you know about them, for sure. Yeah, you're playing a game. There's rules. There's barriers in your way. And what if you could just... Get rid of those barriers. Everything would be smooth sailing. But as soon as you get that cheat code, going all the way back to Skyrim, you throw in toggle god mode on in the console commands, and now all of a sudden there's no drama to any of those fights. But you are god. But you are god. So that's fun for a while. (laughs) (laughs) You can spawn anything you want. You can just spawn items and do all of that kind of crazy shit. So the kind of point that I'm very, very meandering around here is that we want to give players the ability to feel that, but for brief moments. Give them the taste of having God Mode toggled on. Yeah. And at least that's my approach. We're going to talk a little bit more about your approach and how it differs, I think, philosophically from this idea, but still kind of is in the same vein. How do you give characters magic items that feel cool Give those epic encounters just in a different way. And I will keep that locked away deep in my chest until the next episode. (laughs) Yeah, this is my time. (laughs) 
let's talk about your goal when you're setting up these scenarios. I want to highlight one single player, one character in the group, and just give them a sense of God mode for a brief period. And I want to highlight how cool that one character is. It's kind of like shining a spotlight on one person in the party. Like when Hulk's fighting with a bunch of soldiers. Yeah, basically. When Hulk's fighting and he's just literally smashing everything into pieces, that feels good every once in a while, especially because my general approach to role-playing games is to add a lot of difficulty. It's a high degree of difficulty is yeah. always good. A good challenge feels good. But then every once in a while, you want those uh, those barriers taken out of your way. How do you set the scene for these God moments? To me, the scene is all about figuring out what the goal is of a particular scene. So what are they trying to do? Are they trying to get out of somewhere? I really like retreats for doing this. Anytime things seem overwhelming, we can still throw in a little bit of a, a way out. Consider the scene which we talked about in the very beginning. So we're surrounded inside a fort. We've got the gates locked down, but the enemy is busting through the gates. And in that moment, I thought, there is no way my character survives this. There's absolutely no mathematical way that we can get out of this alive. Play dead. <laughs> so we've got the goal, survive. And we've got the scene, which is all of these enemies pouring over the walls. And in this case, I also want to ask myself, what are the odds? So one to one, there's no drama there. I can take you. <laughs> I want a hundred to one. I want insane nutso odds that just, you can't even work out the math. You're not even attempting the math because you know how dead you are. <laughs> so for me, it has to feel like certain death. To start things off and give that sense of overwhelming. Well, exactly, because what came next was finding the item. So in this case, it was an orb way laid back into a cave that you had to walk past a couple of major statues in this hallway that made it feel like those things were going to come alive and stomp you. Statues are always dangerous in D&D. Yeah, I remember how <laughs> trepidatious I was in walking into that entrance going, Oh my God, these things are going to come alive. They're going to kill me at any moment. Yeah. And then when the odds were overwhelming, we didn't want to touch the orb that we found in the back because we thought, well, that's definitely going to kill us. Yeah. Never touch weird shit. A good rule to live by. <laughs> also, a great rule. Statues always kill you. Never touch weird shit. Uh, don't lick handles. Oh, that's fine. Don't lick railings. Yeah. Till we get to one oh. of our future episodes about diseases. <laughs> good. That's fine. <laughs> So in this, there was a lot of questions to consider, which is how do I get my players to get on board with this? And how do I make it seem like it was always there, but they didn't necessarily want to try it out. They didn't necessarily want to use it. So it has to be hinted at. And then when we finally said, well, we're going to die either way, we might as well yeah. touch this scary looking orb. Then it transferred our consciousness into this statue. Oh my God, how cool is that? I get it now. We can actually survive this. There's <laughs> hope. So the way I kind of take this approach is I consider creative confines. So if I'm going to make this feel like it's epic to one player and one player only, I want to consider that character or that player's play style. 
Are they more defensive? Do they always consider how to escape? And do they always consider how to survive certain encounters? Or is the player or the character more of an offensive? Do they light up when they get to roll 30 dice? Wade into the fight. Yeah. Or are they a little bit more tactical and they are always considering the five or 10 different options that are available to them? Trying to use things in the environment or strategize a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. I want to try and make something that that particular player is going to enjoy more than anything else. And then with that consideration mixed in with their character class for a little bit of flavor, whatever I end up creating, I'll throw some vines around it. (laughs) Whatever personal spin that people have put on it too. Obviously, you know your players and their characters. so Exactly. So if I'm making for a druid, I'm going to throw some vines around it or I'm going to make it a crow statue or I'm going to you know, whatever the case may be, I can flavor things so that that particular character or player knows, oh, this is my time. (laughs) As soon as they see it, they get this idea that this is my moment to shine. Would have been a real dick move of me with my deep no monk character to jump into that (laughs) druid forest guardian. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You knew that wasn't for you. Yeah. I'll wait out here. I'll smash stuff with my (laughs) tiny fist. This leads into some of the other considerations. In order to make this work within a game and to make sure that all of the players are on board for this, there has to be a few other considerations like how do you make sure that while they're controlling it, the rest of the party has something else to do? What's really cool in this power dynamic, when one player has a ton of power, they have a doomsday weapon that they're about to use, The rest of the players need something to do. They need to be able to fend things off. And they're still squishy, which makes this one player feel all the more responsible for getting people out. So I haven't removed all of the drama by saying, oh, everybody's safe. No, one person is safe inside this whatever with this crazy sword or a new epic ability. Everyone else is still very much at stake. They could get stomped by the very thing that the other character has. Yeah, I mean, everybody is still very much in the in the shit. I hate having flesh. <laughs> so stabbable. So another thing that I like to try to make sure to consider is how do they control it without making it a numbers nightmare for me? This is one of my biggest pet peeves. I hate rolling a ton of dice. These I- big, yeah, these big encounters can easily devolve into just trying to calculate stuff instead of enjoying the epicness of the fight. Oh, yeah. In the past, I've used D20s as damage die rather than doing like 10D4 to try and make sure that the the math kind of balanced out. That's why you use more dice, try and get a nice, healthy middle ground that you can't hit under a certain amount. But boy, when you're using some of these big items, man, it is tough to be jotting down all of the different hit dies, especially in the scenario that we were talking about, where it's hordes of creatures. Like, you want to start using horde mechanics and stuff like that yeah. so that you're not calculating for every one of the 200 enemies that's attacking that fort. Yeah, you don't want to throw some kind of a laser beam that requires a dexterity saving throw and then roll 200 dexterity saving throws. (laughs) Another really important distinction to this is how important player control is. I need to be able to take an item and I need to be able to give it to a player that they now control. Because I've seen this done in a different way 
that did not land. And that was, oh, there's another big thing that's an ally of yours, and it's going to join the fight, but the DM's going to control it. I mean, it, it accomplishes the same mechanical goal. Exactly. But it doesn't accomplish the same. But the player is just sitting there looking at it going, huh, neat. That's cool. I'll, I'll climb in a hole and wait. <laughs> it's really not going to give that epic feeling to the player. Yeah. And then the final and major consideration, this is the biggest one. How do you take it away? <laughs> How can it not be replicated <laughs> elsewhere? So that this isn't the new campaign? This is the new normal. Everyone has mechs. <laughs> one person has a mech. Everyone else sucks <laughs> butt. Deal with it. So that's the kind of gist of doing this. So when we're creating some of these items, I like to take the approach of, you know, is this going to be a magic sword and it's going to enhance their abilities? Is it going to be special boots that allow them to like basically kick and thunder wave somebody 150, whatever the case may be. Sword boots. Sword boots. (laughs) Give me sword boots, double bladed front and back. They can spin around and helicopter me to safety. I, if you do not cut your own Achilles, I will be very surprised <laughs> at some... My goodness. It's an art. Okay, so now let's get into the fun part. How does this all play out? Well, if we take this same kind of approach, let's talk about like defensive players. Players that are all about protection and caution and things like that. Sure. You definitely don't want to die. You're some kind of a squishier bard. And you're always thinking about how to get out of there. Sure. So we've got a defensive bard. And in this scenario, I would usually take the approach of giving a scenario in my story where they have to get the party out of certain danger and hold off against an overwhelming onslaught. If we take that bard example, let's work this into a bit of a a rich, juicy story. I've just stolen the hell's... Secret files. Ooh. <laughs> the the secret accountant files from Avernus. Yes. <laughs> okay. So you and your party are trying to get away from the fiends living in this place, and you're sailing down a river of lava on a ship. And there's a bunch of demons and devils in hot pursuit. For some reason, they're not attacking each other. Uh, they're just really pissed off because it was maybe like they're commingling in their yeah. How did <laughs> in the their demons, tax how ma- tax fraud <laughs> <laughs> files that you've stolen? I see. And your bard yep could have an artifact that was gifted as a favor, but up until now it's maybe just been a normal weapon. It's like the instrument that your bard has always had, and with a strum of that instrument. Any of the lesser devils, let's say some big beefy ones, are completely transfixed by this playing. Like, you're playing escape music. (laughs) You're just jamming that escape tune. And I would probably just hand you control over those two big beefy devils to smash the other ones. Like, I would get them to be used as bodyguards for your escape. I have them climb up on the hell raft. (laughs) <laughs> and start bashing devils that are trying to climb aboard. Sure. And, I, and I'm hanging off of bungee cords on the raft, bouncing up and down, just like the guitar player in Mad Max. <laughs> there you go. And I would probably build in some something that says this effect is only going to last for, say, maybe six to eight rounds. 
Use it. Use it now. Okay, so what if I'm a super protective paladin, lots of armor, lots of shields. I'm into protecting my buddies. And we're in an underground base. It starts to explode. Hmm. So in that scenario, yeah, you're you're making a bit of an escape. And this is still, again, escapes are great for defensive players. So you're trying to get out and this underground base starts to explode and lava's pouring down everywhere. And you can you're describing all of the heat and it's intense and there is debris falling from the ceiling. And I would probably have some of the creatures, uh, let's say Duragar, that are chasing you out of this place. I would have them get squished by massive hunks of debris, like one hit kills kind of thing. Gravity ain't messing around on this one. There you go. And an inscription on your shield starts to glow. This is the shield that you recently found inside this place. The Duragar made it, and you thought, oh, damn, cool shield. Yeah, it's got a picture of a fellow with a beard on it. And obviously, if it's going to be a giant tower shield, the paladin's going to take it. That's not going to be a rogue <laughs> a rogue item. <laughs> so it's going to end up in your hands. Lays it down over his body to protect himself. <laughs> <laughs> That's the ultimate defensive position. <laughs> Turtle. Yeah, the the inscription starts to glow and a force field emerges that repels non-living material. And so as the roof starts to fall, you have to move slowly and carefully because you're also defending against the living Duragar that are able to move into this force field and attack you. So that gives something for your entire party to do while they're defending you, because if this force field falls, you are going to be smushed. For sure. Can I make an ask on that item? Sure. Can I send out like a a blast of energy? Ooh. Yeah. Well, you have to clear the debris out of the way in front of you. Yeah. So yeah, we could do like a big force move effect on that as well. And just so that there's a way for me to back out of that item, I would probably just make it revert to a simple plus one shield when you're done using it or once it leaves this place there you go the magic inside this space oh yeah is what powers the shield but as soon as it's removed it's meant for defense of this base and as soon as it's removed from this place it reverts back to a plus one shield it was the shield of the monarch or something that was meant to get them out yeah in case of a collapse there you go and now i've got the shield and i'm saying this got us out of the mighty fortress of Oh, you'll tell that story forever. Yep. That's going to be good, juicy stuff. Okay, so let's switch over to an offensive play style. Players that want to do that max damage. So I'm playing my monk. I'm coming in strong. I want to kick some ass. And a group of gnolls has kidnapped some people from the community that I've been a part of. Okay. A community of other gnolls. Yep. Peaceful gnolls versus violent gnolls. I'm hey. saving the gnolls. They've got a big fort. They're all entrenched in a giant friggin' fort. Yeah, let's see. We could probably do maybe an amulet that could negate all movement. Your monk's been given an amulet at some point. I would want to probably foreshadow that a little bit. So it's like, oh, this will protect you. Or this is, yeah, like a family heirloom or something like that. Or maybe it was found nearby during the game and thus far it's just a really badass amulet 
that is very clearly kind of got some monk stylings. So again, another player doesn't snake it. Humming with energy <laughs> only when it's around my neck. So what if that amulet made your monk ethereal and now is no longer affected by any movement speed for maybe three or four rounds? So when all of the null guards around the fort are on high alert, they're watching, they're waiting for somebody to come and try and attempt a rescue mission, your monk, while the rest of the party bashes down the door and starts to, you know, shock and awe, your monk is taking out everyone with any kind of high ground advantage with bows, with flurry of blows. And so you're just like blinking in and out right next to those knolls. So by no movement effects, you mean I can just be where I want whenever? Sure, why not? You're ethereal. <laughs> and you just like zip up there. If you wanted to turn this into mechanical, you could say that I've got like 10,000 feet of movement per turn or something like that. If you had to, yeah. yeah. Well, and especially if you're ethereal, then there's no disengage. Oh, okay. Anything like that. You're able to do the damage. You're just literally invincible and you can move wherever the hell you want. Dang. For, let's say, yeah, three or four rounds. And then after that, in order so that you cannot activate this again, that amulet crumbles to dust around your neck. Or grows little legs and arms and says, see you later. <laughs> Truly <laughs> My weird. job here's done. <laughs> Runs off. Okay, the classic aggressive character class. I am a mighty barbarian, and I am defending the honor of my people. My people aren't barbarians. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just live with these people. They've taken you in. Yeah. The nice townspeople. Let's say we've got some massive elementals made of dense stone that are about to smash through the meager defenses we've put up. All right. Uh, how about a little boy runs out from a family crypt in town and hands your barbarian a hammer heirloom and says, my father said that I would know when this should be used and I think you're the one to use it. No, you give it a shot, son. <laughs> <laughs> you yes and me you don't send the child into Shoot. battle yes 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 <laughs> let me take that hammer from you okay yeah let's say this hammer can cast an enlarged thunder wave that's what you need against those earth elementals very good so every successful hit launches soldiers 30 feet away and this item is the only chance at yeah damaging those elementals that are about to mess up your town. Maybe it's got like a advantage on those elementals or they're weak against this specific hammer or something like that. And I would probably give it like maybe six or seven hits oh. knowing that, you know, maybe if you go straight for those earth elementals, like you still have an option to do whatever the hell you want to do. But those first eight hits are going to do the most damage because they're all going to cast Thunderwave and likely, I know that you as the barbarian, once you realize this, you get one hit to realize this is now what it does. And then you have seven subsequent hits that you're probably going to focus on those elementals. Yeah, for sure. So there we go. And now when that happens, uh, maybe the, the hammer breaks uh, upon that final hit. And there's a small ruby left behind that you can still go and sell. Nice. And I don't give that back to the child. No, no, <laughs> you definitely pocket that one. 
Here, child, have the crumbled remains of the hammer. Piss off, kid. Here's your dad's <laughs> hammer back. Thanks for saving us all. Now go do whatever kids do. <laughs> Awful. <laughs> okay, so let's wrap this up with some tactical choices. Oh, I like. And this is for the thinker or the clever players in the group. So wizards. Wizards are good thinkers. Yep. Let's go classic wizard hideout, top of a big old tower. Wizards live in towers. We know this. Yeah, so they can peep on everything. (laughs) We got a group of evil cultists working for a wizard, unleashing their horrific magical experiments on me and my pals. Ooh, awful. Uh, Okay, yeah. Um, What about the wizard has gloves? All right. (laughs) I like gloves. Okay. Keeps the filth away. Yeah. We could, well, it's a wizard. We can't go hammer. We can't go uh, armor. Yeah. With gloves that... Oh, portals. Wizards love portals. What if your wizard has control of, and stealing directly from the video game portal, has two connected portals where the physics work exactly the same way as they do in Portal, you could say move those portals up to 40 feet and that way you get your person you as a player who are a tactical player yeah gets to really think through where to move those portals in the limited amount of time that you have them <laughs> excellent i'm putting one on the floor one on the ceiling good call forever falling Oh, man, in D&D rules, that would be a <laughs> KO for anybody, I guess. Oh, yeah. You just scooch that bottom portal at the very last <laughs> moment. Blip. Nice. Splat. Or shoot him right off the tower. Yeah, that's good. There we go. Yeah, I think we we get the idea. Yes, this is fun. <laughs> this is fun. Uh, we could probably keep going on this forever. Let's talk about one kind of major thing that I know you might be thinking in the back of your head. But what about the rules? What about the the real mechanics? Like, if you're doing this, you're basically throwing out all of the rules that have been added to D&D. This is why magic items exist in the books. So that you can plan the effects in a way that works with all the established rules. Exactly. And what we have just suggested, there are no rules for that because it's crazy OP. You just got to kind of make it up and play it real fast and loose. And this is where the rule of cool comes in. I think it's important to take this as a proactive step. Build Rule of Cool into your games and give players just a moment to be goddamn epic. (laughs) Not restrained in this creative space, but just allowed to. You're not going to take the mounted turret with you, but you do get to dole out some crazy damage for just a couple of minutes, just like that orb that allowed us to control the the statues. Yeah. That was only going to happen one time. I mean, it's never going to happen again. We just get to enjoy it for a while at last. All right. Well, I look forward to your approach to this whole thing on our next episode. Hey, thanks. But before we go, let's hop over to the Temple of Inspired Hands. This is the Temple of Inspired Hands, where amazing products and revolutionary ideas are brought to light. So you've created a magic item that your player gets to use. You've spent hours on its creation. It's perfect for them. It's going to make them pop their mouths open with a big old (laughs) wow. 
Wow. <laughs> yeah, for that item, you want it to really land. And you've put all this work into this one crazy moment. And there has to be a little bit of showmanship, a little bit of pizzazz. Rather than just scrawling it out on whatever scrap paper you find lying around. And then they lose it later and they say, hey, can you do that again? Yeah. Or, you know, if it's either one of our handwriting, then you don't understand it at all and you need a friggin' interpreter. <laughs> yeah. Who needs handwriting these days? So the alternative is, is that you make an item look professional, like it's coming straight out of the handbook. And that is your, hey, here's this epic magic item that you get to use for the next couple of rounds upon its reveal people shit their pants. And when you make it look like it came out of those official books, it's kind of the same effect of wearing a lab coat and talking to people. They trust you more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is true. (laughs) So, home brewery is what we've used for a lot of stuff. It applies to a lot more than the scenario we just put forward. But Scott Tolksdorf from Ontario, a fellow Canadian who snagged the incredible domain naturalcrit.com, created the home brewery. And likely, you may have heard this before, but if you haven't, it's a markup, what you see is what you get style editor that makes everything that you just type into this very plain text, rich text format on the left-hand side look like it came out of official D&D books on the right-hand side. It's pretty incredible. And there's a whole bunch of pre-formatting and you have to do zero zero graphic design you just load up the templates that he's made and you can make stat blocks you can make items you can make everything that you see in the handbooks and it's very popular for creators that sell their work on the dms guild and what's so cool about this and hats off to you scott because it's completely free to use you can start up a profile you can save all of your creations and you can share them You can download them as PDFs, and it's pretty freaking cool. He's got a Patreon set up, which he's got a single dollar tier, and that's it. He just wants to cover his 125 bucks a month cost to run the servers and make it all continue to be free to use. Well, and at this point, he's got a little bit more than his 125 bucks a month coming in on Patreon, but I would love to see an effort like this go extra awarded so use the hell out of it but also hop onto that patreon and just donate a dollar because it is so useful for just whipping up quick magic items and other fun stuff all right that's it that's all we got for this episode but in the next one we get to find out what the hell jordan's got going on up in his big dome Lots of stuff all the time. <laughs> it's a mess up there. It's it's like a dirty bedroom. It's just stacks of weird stuff in, in odd places. Yeah, and I've had a few coffees today, so that's just making it all run around even faster. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Discord, or Reddit. Look into the show notes for links to everything that we mentioned, including... Those uh, really cool resources for helping your players build their own items, as well as a link to the home brewery for when it's time to create your epic item. Thanks for, for listening. listening. 
and, and play, play godly games. games. Thought you were going legit with that one.